Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks to us, that you have revealed much to us. And Lord, we thank you for every word in your scriptures. And so Lord, we thank you for these words that are before us today, but we have to recognize that we often have hard hearts. We have deceitfulness built into ourselves and we have a sinful nature that rears its head so often, O oh Lord, too often. Lord, we pray that we would not react badly to your word today, but we would react rightly to it. As we look at it together, oh Lord, we pray that it would indeed change us, transform us to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, we've come to the next section in our study of the book of Hebrews together, Hebrews chapter 12, and I encourage you, if you've got a black church Bible, to have that open to page 1,193. It is essential for uh, understanding what is being said here in the text, if you have it open before you so you can see for yourself. And we've been studying the book of Hebrews for some time and seeing again and again that this book is written for people that are considering leaving Christianity because life has gotten tough. But the author is giving them reason after reason as to why they should stick it out, why they should continue to be Christians. Now, the particular readers, the original readers, were very likely to be Jews. Uh, they had followed Judaism for many years, then become Christians, and now they were considering going back to Judaism. But the author is saying, do you realize that Christianity, that Jesus Christ himself, offers something far greater than Judaism ever offered? It offers a far greater high priest, that is Jesus. It offers uh, better sacrifice than the blood of uh, goats and bulls could ever offer. It offers the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so we come to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18, and in these verses to the end of the chapter, we see that there is an argument here that is brought to the readers that they should not reject God. They should not refuse God for at least two good reasons given in the text. And so in verse 25, which is uh, over the page, turn to page 1194, you see the command that is given in this section that we're looking at today. The command there, the imperative is to the readers, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. What is the command that we are told? Is to not see to it that we do not refuse him who speaks. We should not reject, would be another way to translate that word refuse. We should not reject the one who speaks. Who's the one who speaks? It is God. He has been going through 12 chapters now with the readers and is given reason after reason as to why they should not refuse the one who speaks. They should not refuse God. And he's getting really firm with them now that you must not reject God. Because some of them may be wondering whether Christianity is worth following any longer. It has been tough for them, and they're thinking of turning away, and the author says, do not refuse him. And that may be the case for you today as well. You may have been following Christ for a number of years, but lately it's been getting tough. You've been going through some suffering, going through some pain, life is tiring, and you're wondering whether it's all worth it. Should I keep going or should I bow out of the race? Which is the illustration that has been given again and again in Hebrews chapter 12, the athletic illustration of running the good race that is put before us. Or it may be that you're here this morning and you're not a Christian and you're considering, should I embrace Christianity? 
And you look at Christianity and you think, oh, it's not that fun to be a Christian. It's all those rules. And it looks like it can be quite painful that people will start to dislike me for being a Christian. So then the question is, why should you not refuse Christ? Why should you not refuse the one who speaks to you? And we've been given many reasons through, the, uh, through these, this book as we've studied it together. But there are two reasons given in this passage of verses 18 through to the end of the chapter. Two reasons given to us. And the first is that we should not refuse God because of what we've left behind. The author in verse 18 wants to make very clear to the readers what they are not coming to. Because they've followed Christ, what have they actually left behind? And look with me at verse 18 of Hebrews chapter 12 to see what they have left behind. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 18 says, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. This is what Judaism offered those who followed it. It offered a mountain in the Old Testament where Moses was there on the top of Mount Sinai, but it was a mountain surrounded with doom and gloom. It was a mountain that was surrounded with smoke and loud voices and commands that said, if you even touch this mountain that God has chosen to speak from, you must be put to death. That is what Judaism offered. And these people who are listening to the author speak to them are considering going back to that. And the author says, that's not what you've come to. Realise what you've left behind. See that you do not refuse him who speaks to you and go back to a mountain that is surrounded with burning with fire, with darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to a voice that is speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them. That is what Judaism offered. But you have not come to that. You've come to something else. Don't go back to that, is what the author is saying. Yes, life may be tough, but do you realise what you've left behind? You've left a mountain that displayed God's anger and wrath to sinful men. That's why people weren't allowed to touch it, because they were sinful. God is holy. They are unholy. They couldn't go near that mountain. But that's not what the Christians have come to. Now, you may be saying here this morning, well, that doesn't have much relevance for me because I'm not a Jew. So I'm not thinking of going back to Judaism. So how is that a motivation for me, knowing what happened at Mount Sinai in the Old Testament? How is that a motivation for me to keep following Christ? Well, you have left something behind that is very similar to that mountain that is displayed there in verses 18 to 21 that the Jews knew so well about. What have you left behind if you've become a Christian? Well, you've left behind the wrath of God that has been told would come to you if you didn't follow Christ. The Bible is very clear that God is wrathful towards sinners. And there is a judgment to come 
that is exceedingly terrible. And if you leave Jesus Christ, if you go back to your evil ways, that is what you will face. It'd be helpful for us, I think, this morning to look at what we have left behind if we are following Christ. And no better book of the Bible to tell us what is to come is, is, uh, is better than the book of Revelation. So I encourage you now to look with me at Revelation chapter 16. Revelation chapter 16, which is found on page 1226. I encourage you to look with me now at Revelation chapter 16. I'm going to read the whole of the chapter here so that we can understand what we have left behind. So I encourage you to look it up. One of the ways that you can keep from falling asleep in church is by looking at the Bible when I say look at it. It's a good thing to look at the Bible just to see whether I am saying what comes from the scriptures, but it's also a way that I use for you to stay awake. So if you hear me say look at the text, look at this verse, that's a good time for you to slip out of your days that you may have been slipping into on a warm day like today, and look at the text. Look with me now at Revelation chapter 16, page 1226. Revelation chapter 16, and we're going to see what we have left behind if we are Christians. Revelation chapter 16, the Apostle John is seeing the future, and he says he saw, then in verse 1 he says, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land, and ugly and painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it turned into blood like that of a dead man and every living thing in the sea died. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water and they became blood. Then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, You are just in these judgments, you who are and who were the Holy One, because you have so judged. For they have shed the blood of your saints and prophets. And you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was given power to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had control over these plagues. But they refused to repent and glorify him. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. Men gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs they came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are spirits of demons performing miraculous signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him, so he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, It is done. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder and a severe earthquake. 
No earthquake like it has ever occurred since man has been on earth, and so tremendous was the quake. The great cities split into three parts, and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup, filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away, and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones of about a hundred pounds each fell upon men. And they cursed God on account of the plague of hail, because the plague was so terrible. That is what we have not come to if we follow Jesus Christ. And you can see similar elements there between Mount Sinai in the Old Testament and what is to come. Storms, darkness, lightning, the wrath of God being displayed there against unholy people. And the author says, see to it that you do not refuse the one who speaks. Because you have not come to this. You have left that behind. And if you leave Jesus Christ, if you give up, that is what you go back to. And it is not as though you'll be able to escape it. The author of Hebrews makes that very clear. That there may be, you may think, oh, but I won't go to Christ's heaven, I will escape it in some other way. I won't go to the judgment, I won't go to, I won't go to hell and I won't go to heaven. There'll be some other way. Maybe you just think that it'll be, you become worm food. There is nothing after death. The author of Hebrews says you cannot escape such a judgment. Look with me back at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25, page 1194. 1,194, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25, it says, See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? Here the author wants you to understand that there is no escape from God's wrath. If you refuse him, if you reject him, you cannot escape. And the Old Testament proclaims that to us. The people in the Old Testament, when they rejected God, they did not escape his wrath. No, they suffered again and again. In the desert, you see different plagues coming to them, different tragedies being inflicted upon them. They could not escape. And yet they were simply warned from a mountain. Whereas we are being warned by the Son of God from heaven that there is no escape. You see how he's working an argument there from the lesser to the greater. If something is true at a lesser level, it must be even more true at a greater level. That's what he says in verse 25. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? The Son of God has warned us of the wrath to come. The Son of God has warned us that we must follow him. He is far superior to Moses. So you must listen to him. Kind of like this argument of the lesser to the greater with different warnings that you understand if someone who is greater warns you about something, there's less chance of you avoiding it. I sometimes get warned by my wife that my diet in the home is not very good, that I need to eat better. I have a great fascination with the element of sugar, and I love it, and also fat. It's just wonderful. And so I get warned by my wife in the home that it is not good for me, and I need to adjust my diet accordingly. 
Now that's one thing. And yes, judgment may come upon me for my poor diet and I've been warned by my wife. But if a few doctors at a hospital warn me after a battery of tests on my body and tell me that my diet is bad and I will be experiencing judgment for my actions if I don't adjust it accordingly, I really won't escape such a judgment. My wife is one thing to warn me, and yes, I should probably listen to her, but it's a whole other thing if a doctor warns me in a hospital that I will be facing judgment for my actions. I won't escape if the doctors warn me. It's very unlikely. And it's the same thing here. If Moses warned people and they did not escape on earth, how much more if the Son of God himself from heaven warns us that we must keep following him. We must not refuse him who speaks to us. And so when we suffer and we're tempted to leave Christ, we must never forget what we once were. We were once sinners who were facing the wrath of God and should be trembling with fear about that wrath that was to come. This helps us in whatever situation we're in, that we feel pain and suffering and thinking that we should give up on following Christ. Sometimes I feel like people don't treat me as I deserve. I think, oh, I deserve better than this. You may think the same in your workplace, with family, with friends. What helps you in such times is to remember what you escaped, that you are a sinner and you deserved far worse than anyone can treat you in this world. And God is always right in his judgment of you and that that pain that you feel from other people is a good thing from God if he has ordained it, to take you down a peg or two in your pride or maybe even completely floor you. And I reflect on that in my own life. As people treat me in a way that I think I don't deserve, I reflect, no, you didn't deserve to be treated far worse. And this is actually a helpful thing for you to be humbled and to realise that whatever I feel in this world is nothing in comparison to what I should feel in the next world because of my sin. I have made a narrow escape from great judgment. And I should make sure I remember that when times are tough so that I do not refuse the one who speaks to me. But is that our only motivation given in the text as to why we should see to it that we do not reject the one who speaks to us? No, there's another motivation given to us as well. And that is that we should not refuse God because of what we have come to. The author tells us what we have not come to in verse 18 and following. You have not come to a mountain that cannot and can be touched and that is burning with fire. That's what we haven't come to. And so we should be really happy about that. But then he tells us in verses 22 and following what we have come to. What have we come to? Verse 22 says, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood 
that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Yes, we have escaped God's wrath through Jesus Christ. But it is not as though God has helped us to escape his wrath and then leaves us sitting alone for eternity. If you think of the illustration, and I've never had this happen to me, it'd be terrible if it did. If your house starts catching fire, goes up in a blaze, and you are saved from it, that is a wonderful thing. If you get out in time and you're not burnt to death in the house, that's a wonderful thing. But consider that that happens to you, that you escape from a burning house, your home is, descends into flames, but you don't have insurance. And you're in the middle of nowhere. You're out in some outback part of Australia and it's just your house and your house alone that was there for miles around. And now the house is burnt down. And your family, the only people that you know for miles and miles, died in the house too. And so it's just you there, in the middle of nowhere, sitting there. You got salvation from the house. Yes, that's great. You're still alive. But you're sitting there next to a blackened patch of land with nothing. That's not the salvation that Christianity offers. Yes, you escape the fire, but he gives you somewhere to live instead of the hell that you deserve. He gives you a wonderful place with many people, many beings there, What do we come to? I was going to read out another slab from Revelation, but verses 22 to 25 uh, and 24 give us a wonderful illustration of what is to come to us. It says there in verse 22, you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. We're going to be there with angels, ministering spirits, made by God to serve us, the Bible tells us. Earlier in Hebrews, it tells us that they're ministering spirits to serve God's people. That's what we're, going, we're saved from, is to be in a place with thousands upon thousands of angels, and not just angels, verse 23 tells us, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven, will be there with other Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ. We won't be alone on a mountaintop for the rest of eternity. Yes, we're saved from hell, but now we've got a a little patch of ground for the rest of eternity with no one there. No, we've got angels and we've got brothers and sisters, people you know in this world, people you've never met before, who've come before in church history, which is why it's so valuable to read church history, isn't it? You get to then look forward to seeing certain people in heaven that you've only ever read about. They are there in heaven. You won't be alone. And then it keeps going. Verse 23 says, To the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven, that's what you've come to. What else have we come to? Verse 23, You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You're there with angels, you're there with Christians, and you're there with God himself. And Jesus, God manifests who has a better blood than the blood of Abel. What's been spoken of there? Well, Abel is the brother of Cain who was killed and his blood cried out for vengeance in the Old Testament. He was murdered. And his blood cried out for vengeance upon Cain for murdering him. 
But Christ's blood is better than the blood of Abel. Why? Because it cries out not for vengeance, but for grace. And that's who we're going to see in heaven. You're saved from hell by Jesus and his blood, which cries out for grace, and you will one day get to see him and be with him. Meet the Saviour who loved you so much that he gave his life for you. And it's wonderful to know that it won't be that you're in with these people and you're packed in like sardines in a can and just standing around. What does it say about the angels that we come to in verse 22? It says, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Other way you could translate that word joyful there is festive. They're having a feast. They're rejoicing. It's not like we have escaped from judgment and are now in a refugee camp for the rest of eternity, packed in like sardines. Jesus is there. Angels are there. Other Christians are there. But we haven't got much to do. No, we're rejoicing and having a festival. There is no festival like this one known to man. The feasting in heaven, the marriage banquet of the Lamb, is unlike any other banquet you've been to. And I love my food, and I've eaten lots of nice food in this world. But I'm really looking forward to the banquet in heaven, that festival that I will share with angels and God's people and Jesus himself. So if you're here this morning and you don't trust in Jesus Christ, you never trusted in Jesus Christ, I encourage you to consider that you should not refuse him who speaks to you now. God is here in this place. His word has been opened. He speaks to you now. Yes, he uses me, my voice to do it. I'm thankful for that. I'm amazed that he does that, but he uses my sinful voice to then project his truth. And he tells you, don't refuse him now. Because do you recognize what you will face if you do refuse him? You face hell and eternal judgment. And you give up heaven and rejoicing being surrounded by Christians and angels and God himself I encourage you repent of your sins and trust in him today and you can look forward to coming to that heavenly Zion one day with the rest of us and if you are a Christian I encourage you don't refuse God because your race has become hard Keep trusting in Christ for forgiveness of sins and look forward to what you are receiving. Yes, look back at the hell that you did deserve and you've left behind. But always keep looking at what is to come. And consider it. Consider what it means to meet with Christians who've gone before. I'm really looking forward to meeting Charles Spurgeon. He's a real character. I'm going to have so many laughs with him, I think, in heaven. I'm really looking forward to him. I'm still working through his autobiography, and it's just wonderful. And I'm going to meet him one day. He'll be there. And the author of Hebrews, we don't know who he is. People put the Apostle Paul. I've got no idea. Uh, Well, I know, I'm pretty certain it's not the Apostle Paul. But who it is, I don't know. And I'm really looking forward to meeting that guy and saying, that book was helpful. Yes, I may have tortured the congregation by taking nine years to get through it, coming back and forth, but it was a really good book for me at least. Thank you, and I get to meet him. 
And I get to meet my grandfather, who I never met. He died when my father was eight. He was a Christian. He was a godly man. Never met him, but he'll be there. I get to meet him one day. Consider what is to come and stop worrying about the troubles that you face today. Because soon you'll be there with them, the other saints, and consider that Jesus will be there. I was talking to another saint on the phone yesterday, another Christian, and we did turn to the subject of heaven. And we started to speak about how marvellous it will be to see Jesus smiling at us, welcoming us home. After all our struggles and toils in this world, he'll be there and saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Won't joy fill our hearts as we have kept at the good race and not given up but have, and have not refused him who spoke to us and he will welcome us home. So when you're thinking times are tough, Here's two, there's so many in the Bible, two reasons to keep going. One is, think about what you left behind and what you're going back to if you give up on Christ. And then think about what is to come and how it's all worth it. And so then you should respond as the way the author wants you to respond in verse 28. What does he say in verse 28? Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, heaven can never be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let us be thankful and worship God acceptably with reverence and awe because of how good and gracious he has been to us. Let's come before him now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this warning from Scripture of what we would go back to if we refuse you who speak to us today. But Lord, we thank you also for the reminder from Scripture as to what we have come to, that we have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. We have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. We have come to you, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So, Lord, we pray that none of us in this room would refuse you who speaks to us. But instead, O oh Lord, may we come to you with thankfulness and begin to worship you more fully than we have ever before with reverence and awe because we have been reminded of these truths. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.